0: We are in Champions League, man. Dilly was my Dilly name
1: dindly
0: dindly to... don, come on. Ancora Messi, ancora It's a sharing
1: i I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Aguero.
0: Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Joining us today is Julio Costa, data scientist at Fulham FC. This is a really, really interesting one. So, it's not the route of data science as you would probably expect. Julio is also a B licensed coach. Talks about the link between data and football, coaching and analysis youth development and pro development and the link between social media and real life. Really, really interesting on so many levels. You're gonna love this. Really excited to be sponsored by our good friends at Keyframe. Video is a great coaching tool, as we all know, but Telestration is proven to take it to the next level. Keyframe Telestration improves understanding, ease retention, saves time when you're coaching players using videos. These telestration software programs are normally very, very expensive and hard to produce. Keyframe solves these problems. Simple to use, fast to learn, works with any video provider and is affordable. I've used Keyframe myself. We've done a lot of work with them. Highly recommend them. Please check out Keyframe at keyframesports, all one word, .com, keyframesports.com. Finally, coaches. If you haven't been on the Modern Soccer Coach website lately, you need to check it out. Plenty of new stuff up there. Go onto the shop as well. A couple of new free session ebooks. We've got variations on Pep Guardiola's 4v4 plus 3. And we've also got some Eric Ten Hag sessions up there as well. And then we've got set piece packages, webinars, and a new 20 attack and training session ebook as well. So don't miss out, modernsoccercoach.com. Check it out today. All right, here we go. Here is Julio. Enjoy. Julio, thanks Thanks so much for joining us on the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast.
1: Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure as well.
0: Brilliant topic. And I know it's going to have a lot of people listening in. Um, Obviously, the data side of the game. We've done a few podcasts on it, and it gets a big interest. Um, A data scientist, I'm thinking... Harvard degree, physics, math. Looking at your background, there's some coaching there. You went over to the U.S. to Texas. How did how did you get into the data side?
1: Well, it's as you said, it's a very different background. So, um, I'm originally from Portugal. Uh, played football growing up uh, in lesser-known sides. Growing up, uh, academy football is very different from what is academy football, for example, in the UK, and even in the US, um, and was not good enough to make it as professional. Uh, and from there, I just had a few injuries, it was not because of just injuries. And it's interesting because I was a right back. And at the time, a right back was not such an attacking mining player, which I was actually more an attacking minded player. And the game has changed as well. So it's really interesting how this was more than 20 years ago, when I was 19, I got offered a scholarship because I have dual citizenship, uh, Portuguese and Angolan, and they offered possibilities to study in the US. So I went to Texas to study first, improve my English, then study sports at UT Austin and uh, completely different study coaching and, and, and other things as well, but it was not tailored to football. It was more soccer, like more American football. And and yeah, still, it was really interesting. I had a teacher, Michael T. Sanders, that he was actually one of the pioneers in the university to use data analytics. And he was quite passionate about it, Uh, but I didn't know anything about it, honestly. Uh, I never uh, had that, actually, someone speaking. I remember playing football manager, championship manager, and seeing the data side of it. Uh, But that that was pretty much as much that I knew about dating football. Um, Came to London, 2016, got my level one and level two, FA level one and FA two coaching qualifications. Start coaching pretty much from the bottom, grassroots. Um, Then as my experience started to increase, Got after, offered better roles at, at pri- either private academies with a good standard of football. coach uh, coached pretty much anything from babies to seniors uh, throughout almost five years, you know, four and a half, five years. And then lockdown came. And it was a really interesting time because I was, and I'm still finishing my master's in performance coaching. Um, at St. Mary's University here in London and I had a module of performance analysis which was fascinating uh, and this was at a time that I started reading a blog of a Portuguese performance analyst and I really liked how you break down different oppositions and different style of of plays and I was like okay I'm actually looking forward for this module. It was really interesting my visuals at the time were renders in Microsoft Excel it was The worst thing ever. I remember that was the worst thing I was at. If I could show everyone what was my first visuals about Liverpool versus an Atletico Madrid game, pretty much was the the analysis topic uh, of that assignment. It was terrible. Just really terrible. Um, And from there, I really like it. Start looking into this community on Twitter that people posted different data visualizations. I was like, okay, that's quite interesting. And Throughout this period of, of, of the pandemic, the first uh, lockdowns in London, uh, I got some experience already under my belt with some scouting remotely, rem- doing remotely um, for different clubs. So I've done it for Mansfield Town. Um, and then I joined this second division Danish club called uh, Nasved Ball Club. And I was doing the same thing, remote scouting, looking at players, uh, there was some data, but we were not aware of that. We were just literally scouting the player, uh, identified what type of player, and so on. And then at the time, I started practicing the data side because I, I was really fascinating with everyone on Twitter doing. It. it was like, wow, I want to do that. But I learned they were doing this on a programming language, and at the time, I didn't know how to program. So I used this Tableau software, which is a f- free uh, tool. That obviously, there's the the subscription version that allows you to do more than that, but there's a public version and I start practicing with free data sources that I found online. It was like, okay, I want to do this graph. I want to do this graph. I want to learn the techniques, how to do it. And, And that's how I became a data analyst. And then from there, because of my skills that I picked up, you know, just on my own throughout lockdown, NASFET Ball Club was like, okay, do you want to be the data analyst? for the club was volunteer but it was like yeah okay good experience so I've done it you know the club was going through a new ownership and they became more data-driven so for a few months I was doing that Um, it was a good experience getting to know that and just as lockdown started to easing up I resume a coaching and a performance analysis kind of performance analyst role that I had it just before lockdown started with this private academy and that's when I become applying more into development, Uh, it was really interesting because we didn't have much to work on. Fortunately for me, I did have the data set of of these wearable devices called Playmaker, which it will give you different physical metrics. And it was a good starting point, plus a different basic statistics that would collect myself through video, which was nothing fancy. It was literally iPad trying to get the best uh, KPIs that I would choose, uh, and, and see what, what they would tell me about the game. And again, this was the period of starting to understand the type of data sets that I was going to work with. Uh, and as I usually say data, just by the sake of having data is not, is nothing, there's nothing you can like, I can say, oh, this player has 20 goals, this player has 10 assists. Okay. That's great. So scores 20 goals and scores 10 assists. Everyone can read that, but it gets more into that. And and throughout my role now with Fulham, I change the way I've seen things. And, And even before that, when I start looking at these different data sets, you start trying to going. And again, this is something I've done it as when I started looking at data, it's like, oh, what can I look to the data rather than what, and I found the, the data, which is two completely different things. Uh, and yeah, and after a year and a half of after lockdown, I, I managed to, to land this role with Fulham. I got some experience with data and learned a lot. This is mo- this is going to be my second season with Fulham. Uh, and it, it has been on a personal level. I learned a lot. I learned a lot. And as you said, usually data scientists, they come from different fields that I came from. But I would say it was a really big advantage for me to have work at different capacities in football, because it let me understand what what and I'm still learning because me seeing data is completely different as someone who is not used to as a coach or another member of staff. So it's important for you to kind of see the other side of what is valuable. Um, from other perspectives in, in, in football. So, yeah, so it has been really interesting on that on that note.
0: It's fascinating. Like, I, data itself, like, I, you know, I, I work at a club and I can read reports um, that are nice visuals and from third-party reports and all that there. Like, and I've learned to do that, and that's taken me a, a bit of time. But the process of actually using Tableau to build your own reports – That's extremely complicated, time-consuming. I dipped into Tableau for a little bit a couple of years ago and it just fried my head. Do you have a mathematical type background or do you excel in math or or what type of skills were you in in academics?
1: I would say that it's more personality-wise for me. Uh, I have this kind of thing and it might be obsessive compulsory, but I just cannot give up on doing something that I know that I can do it because uh, it's just really weird because I remember when I was trying to do these graphs and all these things and I was like, okay, I'm this close. Like I I won't go into another graph until I actually know how to do it and has been the same with programming language. So when I started, I didn't know, but because I had to learn for the job, I just learned how to do it. And, and again, I'm really grateful that there's, The Internet, which I connect with so many interesting people and I learn a lot. There's, you know, Tableau or Python. There's so many good communities out there that people actually help you. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, And yeah, I would say that has been a great learning curve. And because of my personality as well, I'll, I'll put a lot of hours into learning what I need to do. And as you said, it's not easy. And I remember the first time I opened Tableau, I was like, whoa, what is this? And then you go and you start playing around and navigate it. You're like, okay, I have some open idea, but then you have to, and this is the problem is the automation part because you have to make things more automated. So I do certain things in Tableau that are more quick to do it because of, of the data that we collect our on our own. And then I'll do more complicated stuff with data providers data because everything is just, Kind of automated. You won't have one hundred percent automation because you know sometimes something might be different. But the, the structure of everything that needs to be done, it, it is in that essence automated. So I've come a long time to get to that, but it, it is it, it saves a lot of time. It really saves. Yes,
0: yeah, fast fascinating, fascinating. Um, in one of your interviews that I listened to, you, you said that Mourinho around the time that. It kind of inspired that, almost the the academic approach to coaching and working in football. That was a big inspiration for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was 12 years old when he won the UEFA Cup with Porto and then the Champions League the next year. And even though I'm not a Porto fan, my older brother is a Porto fan, I'm a Sporting fan. And it was such a big thing that everyone in Portugal wanted to be a football coach. Every kid of my age at the time, was like, okay, downloading Championship Manager the next day. And, you know, we want to be football coaches. And at 12 years old, that was something I already wanted to do. Um, I wouldn't be saying that it's still part of my dream to to become a first team coach somewhere else. Uh, but it, it, it was the reason why I wanted to be a football coach. And, and then just the way that he showed that we in Portugal, we could be actually, oh, you know, you actually understand about football. And it was kind of like giving this ownership that if we actually study and learn the game and watch and discuss about the game, we can actually get to, to work in football. So that was really, really amazing. One thing that is still quite frustrating is that unfortunately for you to start coaching in Portugal or even working football nowadays it has improved a bit but it's still quite restrictive Uh, and and that's also the reason why i came to london because it was easier to start working in football Uh, which yeah and and plus i didn't go to university there so it's like it's even harder because usually university students uh have easier access to to start working in football or even volunteer there or or have some partnerships with clubs but because I didn't know anyone, I was like, okay, yeah, that's not happening. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a lot about how you do things. People have this image of Mourinho that you might like it or not. But when we grew up, at least at that age, at that time, Mourinho was was somehow arrogant. But it, it was all of the elements of coaching because we have one of the greatest minds in football, which is not Mourinho. It's Vitor Fraud who actually started with tactical organization, uh, that concept and, and which is pretty much what a lot of coaches in Portugal actually follow and from there everyone was like okay so where did he learn all of this and then yeah obviously he had great minds like <laughs> Bobby Robson as well Louis Van Gaal as well but it, it you know obviously as kids we don't know that history but then we learn as we grow up uh, and it's part of the reason that he was successful and we had a lot of Portuguese coaches that were successful as, as well throughout the years. So that was like, okay, yeah, we definitely want to work in football because it's our passion, because the country itself, every kid either wants to play or, or do something. And even nowadays, you know, I see a lot of people want to become football journalists. So it's really interesting how things have changed uh, in, in, that, in the last 20-something years.
0: Yeah, I, I was similar. Like I, I my first year of being a full time coach was was actually when Mourinho just after he won the when he came to Chelsea, you know, he had a clipboard on the training ground, he had the little notebook, like he didn't hide the fact that there was a cognitive aspect, really hard working, theory based work that he was doing around his coaching. I think yeah, I, I completely agree. He definitely was the catalyst for a lot of young coaches thinking there's different avenues in this thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's a discussion that I have with everyone. There, there's no right or wrong or wrong way to say it, to, to see or think about football because unfortunately the way that it is in the professional level, it's all about results. While in youth development, it's about developing the players. So it's completely different. But when you get to first team, I, I see a lot of debate. Oh, I would hate to see my team... Play this way, and I don't care if you win anything. Yeah, but as a fan, that okay, fair enough. But if that's your job, and you're pretty much your job is, it's like any other job. Your job is, is subject of performance reviews. And the same thing as a first team manager or first team former analyst is about what you do. And the same thing with football players depends on your performance. That's how you're going to be reviewed and might be the reason why you might stay or might get fired like any job and this is what people usually fans don't understand it and sometimes uh, i've been to a lot of courses and cpds and football uh, coaching and you see oh what is your philosophy what is this what is this but it's just so difficult to have one single approach and not to be adaptable and this is what i would say in portugal coaches would adapt more often to the situation and and that's why I remember seeing his Real Madrid side scoring—I don't know how many, 100 something goals—and people were like, "Yeah, but he's a defensive type of coach." But it's like, "Okay, but he scored something 130 something because he had one of the greatest squads he probably had. So it's very different to what he has. Not not re- disrespecting any of the of the of the squads that he, that because they're professional athletes, but they're not on the same level as the Real Madrid squad that he had. So. Sometimes you have to adapt your strategies. It might be right or wrong in the view of some, but only his accolades as a first team manager will probably tell if he was successful or not.
0: I uh, still one of my favorites. Absolute genius. Um, let's let's talk about your role at Fulham now. So there's, I mean, there's data in so many different aspects of of a professional club. Where specifically are you working? And you've just ran from a preseason day to day, so. Like, what type of work is that entail at the moment?
1: So at the moment, I am focusing more with the academy because that is my role uh, at the moment, academy data scientist. This is a completely new department. We started last season. Uh, and the goal is to change the club into a more data-driven. And I can say that for a year it has been a drastic change. Now, I'm really glad that everyone on board has taken it. My, my day-to-day varies, varies because <laughs> there's a lot of age groups in the academy from under nines to under 23s. So obviously the, the, the data and the data sources and the way that we present, the way we collect it is completely different across the spectrum. So we have different procedures and my role is to kind of collaborate with different departments to then create those procedures. To see what kind of data we're going to get, uh, what type of insights we can actually get. And again, because this is developing the academies are to develop footballers, you have to ensure that this is player centered. It's a player centered approach. In a first team environment, it's more of a team approach. Then it's the player coming second. But because until they are first team players, everything has to be player oriented. So all the, our processes are, yes, we do have the old team, let's say each squad. But then again, we need to make sure that the players are getting the, the correct uh, type of, of data, the correct type of feedback from from coaches, from performance analysts. So that's my role right now is to create an avenue that we become more data driven, which we have. And again, the stuff that we have at the club is amazing and, and we have gone through that direction even though it's the only win season if we compare to the work we do to other clubs that have used data for a long time i would say that we we are quite good on, on what we're doing and the direction we are
0: we'll take a quick break here thanks so much to our sponsors keyframe video is a great coaching tool but telestration is proven to take it to the next level. Keyframe Telestration improves understanding, aids retention, and saves you time when you're coaching players using videos. Telestration software programs are normally very expensive and very hard to produce. Keyframe solves all these problems. It's simple to use, fast to learn, and works with any video provider and is affordable. Please check it out now at keyframesports.com keyframesports all one word dot com. Big thanks to Keyframe for the support. Please check them out. Would that be then taken into account? Are you are you aligning sports science data outputs of games, training data? Like, what are the different sources that you're pulling from? I suppose.
1: So it depends really at the age group. So I would say that this is very generic but everyone on the on the pdp phase uh the play development phase for every academy at a standard of full and cat one everyone should have different data sources from sports science uh from education from player care from what we get from example data providers as gps uh, everything from our own data collection because data providers are great to give you an idea of what you can do, but there's always gonna be something that you need to work around your players, around what you value that those data providers might not give you. So there's always gonna be that element of in-house plus data providers. And yeah, the, I mean, you won't compare, you won't make your judgment based on what you collect in-house, but it will give you a great idea of what the player needs are. And this is where a lot of people don't get it. Um, I was working, I was actually uh, the previous uh, role that I was at this, the private academy, I was uh, chatting uh, with, with my previous boss, who was actually a good friend of mine, and he was having this company, which I'm not going to say the name, obviously, but they were trying to offer a performance analysis uh, service for him, and I was saying, okay, well, can you, do you want me just to see and give you an opinion? And I look at it, and, and it's, okay, so can you tell him that you're your program is based on developing the player to try to help them get into the professional game. It's like, yes. And everything was so generic from match reports that were basic statistics, goals, uh, who scored, whether they score, uh, match stats, possession stats. It's like, this is not what what you need. You need something that the performance analysts will probably need to code individual players And then get you what you need for each player and from there because you cannot compare to anyone you're not playing a league that that have the consent to share that data so you'll probably have to actually evaluate the players in what is player targets okay if you're a center midfielder then we're looking at different things such as uh are we where we're receiving the ball what pressure are the players on Body shapes uh, and the context of these kind of metrics that you will look at uh, is the player actually progressing with the ball? How many players is the player taking out of uh, out of play with that action? So these are all things that you need to consider when centering a player based approach on your program. And a lot of companies and data providers, unfortunately, do not look at that because it's easier just to code the game as a as a whole than actually look at what individual uh, KPIs you need to for the player development. And I think that's, that's a big issue that a lot of companies would do. I remember a friend of mine, he was thinking of doing that. And I asked him realistically, how many hours do you think a game would take to code if you're actually getting all these very specific elements for each player? And I told him about four and a half hours basically and yeah if you get some practice with a new code window then you'll probably decrease to three hours but still it, it's a long time but it, it, that's how it should be if you're developing players in a very individualized manner program then that's that's the level of detail that you need to and if it's the case then you need to start comparing interest squad comparisons of okay this is my center back and this is what we then go into okay so if this player i know the characteristics of this player but because i want to make sure that this player can play at a higher level a higher level of the game then you need to actually try to give different tool skills for that player uh, i would say sentiment shielders nowadays in in most of the academies they'll have to kind of create more chances and score goals because it comes to let's say Premier League, Bundesliga, Serie A, La Liga, League One, any top European leagues, you will need to actually score goals as a midfielder if you want to go and have the extra mile to um, perform at this level because that is what is expected. And a lot of coaches don't understand that or a lot of almost analysts don't understand that. And it's part of, of what the game has evolved into.
0: Yeah, yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Um, the the piece there of aligning or, or integrating data into player performance goals, that that's something that, um, I, you know, yeah, it's, it's going to be complex because you got to collect a lot of data to be able to get that. But the piece on educating the player, is that something that's becoming easier as this generation reads more data in their everyday lives or is there still an edgy like an intentional educational piece at the club that you're working on
1: it's it's really interesting because we have a lot of players so part of my role is also being part of chats with players you know we have chats and again when it's the coach the coach is having a chat and maybe the player might not understand what the coach might be saying so then the performance analysis comes with the video and i come with it. And it's like look this is what's happening. Can you see this on data, And then can you see this on the video? And it's really important to link these two to show and reinforce that message to the player. I would say right now it's easier because there's a lot of stats going around, and a lot of these players are used to play FIFA and play games like that, that actually saw some metrics. And for them, it's easier to understand. And let's be honest, if they are in professional environments, it, it makes it even easier for them because they're used to that. They understand that it's part of, of, of the way that they need to be evaluated and even to grow. It, it, it's getting those type of, of data. And it's interesting because data is everywhere. You will go now and you see something on the TV and it tells you, You know, player has done this, player has done this much. So I would say this generation of players, they're quite used to that.
0: It brings us along nicely. Something that now looking into the how to read data, how to interpret data, how to prioritize it, something that you you posted a while back is around a, a certain tweet about a player. You said, when I look at players' data, I try to understand one position through the role three context of team style of play, four fine strengths and weaknesses, five player contribution to the team. Then I show what I got in key points. And I, I, was, I found that really interesting because mostly the coach's eye is, you know, when, when you're talking about a player in traditional uh, player talks or scouting or whatever recruitment, it's just playing strengths and weaknesses. Do you prioritize the context in that position, style? Is that your starting point or did you put those in order?
1: Well, I I put that in order because that's how I would approach. Uh, Again, I don't work with the – I'm not part of the recruitment department, but I do think every play is different depending on which manager. And that's always the question of why player X was not performing well in a club and then being – a completely different uh, player on play on on club why that's exactly the reason because the role is so different under a manager that has different ideas for the player and 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 you just look around at the biggest clubs in the world and how they're doing with the recruitment and you start seeing these trends that they look at okay what kind of player do i need what kind of role this player is going to fit and then yeah and then Data doesn't tell you the type of person you are, it tells you what you do, but that's why people don't understand that your know, clubs just don't use data, they use different things, and that is one of them. And then they look at the video, it's like, okay, now I understand the context why player is you know is is doing this volume of actions and why this player is doing such and such. And it's really important if we want to actually get a player in that model because that is a, a model of how do you approach to assigning for example or to the even developing player you know uh, you, that's you need to to see what the player play, where the player plays what kind of role is the player so you then actually change your profile approach and it's not even on just recruitment even your own players you if you want to evaluate them correctly i i would say that if i don't know if my right winger, or let's say just because of the norm, if I'm putting this player as a right winger, that actually his role is a right winger when you can find a suit, a better, a best-suited role for him, or for her in this case, uh, depending on the player. So it, it, it's it, it, and and people are still so, like sometimes they're stuck into oh this is a a, a centre midfielder. There's millions of roles a centre midfielder can do, for example. It's just finding the best metrics in this case, considering the role of the player and how your team wants to perform, that it will be the best player. And sometimes you see players going to clubs that, that doesn't make any sense and they probably do not even need to. But, you know, sometimes clubs don't make those decisions based on uh, data and video. It's because... There's agents, that's because there's other parties involved. Maybe the manager really, really likes the kind of player. you not get me wrong. Right? <laughs> as a coach, obviously, you know which player you work on. So you might know this is exactly what I need as a player, but sometimes that might not be the best way to do it. And again, just because a player signs for your club, that doesn't mean that it could be the best suited player for the role that you want to get to assign that player. And this is interpreting... Uh, different data sets and and when i've i it's it's an interesting topic because when you're developing developing players i would say that you're trying to develop the best role for a position for that position of that player so you can actually bring the the best strengths uh and improve some of the weaknesses of a player and it's always based on this profiling Uh, you know the role of the player so if i have a center midfielder that actually recovers a lot of footballs and he actually got up. So I would say, okay, so he's more of a box-to-box player and you know the strengths and the weaknesses and you know what it's always fascinating to, to see these differences between roles and players.
0: We'll take our final break here. Coaches, if you're interested in getting more out of your set pieces this season, we have the perfect resource for you on the website set piece package with over six hours of content expert analysis from specialist coaches in the professional game this package includes four full webinars that break down set piece analysis includes data routines player feedback communication and also how to link it all back to the training pitch coaches who get the package will receive download links for the four full webinars with Swansea City set-piece coach Andy Parslow, Hungarian Football Federation analyst Eastman Beregi, Chelsea woman opposition analyst Cam Meehan, and then the final webinar that we did with Oliver Gage, Mark Spaulding, Raddy Tanaskovic, and Peter Ramage in Newcastle. Plus, plus, on top of all the webinars, you get an ebook with 20 exercises all broken down all with the organization all with video so an ebook plus four webinars get it now modernsoccercoach.com shop and if you use the code setpiece all one word setpiece all in capitals all one word 10% off modernsoccercoach.com slash shop setpiece coach package get it now thank you it is fascinating there's a there's a quote I just want to pull it up from uh, from Lillo on in football the pieces do not come together. they interact. everyone talks about the capabilities of players and no one talks about complementing them. And what you're saying there is that to get an understand a holistic understanding of the player, you've got to understand that when you're looking at the central midfielder, it's not just the system, they could be playing along to other alongside two other types of players you got to take all that into consideration as well.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think people just see a one-dimensional <laughs> side of, of what a player is rather than the multifaceted uh, way that a player actually can be represented. So, so that says a lot um, about the player in general and what interacts with others because football is not played by yourself. And again, even as a team, A lot of people say, oh, but this team was really good or this team is, uh, there's no comparison against the opposition or the level of the opposition or what did the opposition set against us? And I would say this because a lot of, uh, on Twitter and all the spaces, you see a lot of people using data and it's like, oh, I've done this, I've done that. But it's like, yeah, but the the, the team didn't play against it. It was either forced to certain behaviors and you need to find those as well. It's not that you're analyzing just you. When you're analyzing your performance, you analyze both sides of the performance because you have to, even if it's long term, you need to look at what teams done against you throughout the season, so you actually can compare where you're standing against all the teams.
0: Yeah, just staying on that context. Then uh, another quote: Brandon Rogers. Statistics and numbers are no good unless you have good people. To interpret, analyse their meaning and their importance. So, the New York Times article that Liverpool are using a data-driven approach. Ian Graham isn't sitting there with with computers, not looking at football matches as well. There's someone that's in that in these departments that are also watching games. Is would that be correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, and this is the the typical kind of. And again, you you see on Twitter and you hear the comments. I know some people that work in football, and, and you see some of the comments like, "Oh, you're a stats nerd, or you you know just watch the game through Excel, Excel spreadsheets." <laughs> it's like, "That that's probably not really how our things go." I mean, I travel with one of the squads, <laughs> and it's like it's completely different. You, you actually see the games. You you know, it, it, it's like. And, and the, the perfect example we had, one of our squads had a game recently, which, you know, in, in our views, and again, not just on my own, but different people, we thought we a player was actually terrible, terrible in that match. Uh, and, and then we went to look at the, the, how what we value, and again, this is really important, it's the key word, what we value in terms of what we consider performances we actually found out that the player had done brilliantly because we were so focused on on the specific thing of the game and because of the heat of the moment, because we were there and you're sitting on on the dugout. It's completely different when you actually had some time to reflect on the game and see. And nowadays, we're lucky that we have so many resources. Uh, But yeah, unfortunately, people don't understand that everyone that is involved in football, you do actually analyze performances and you also see the games and And more of or, or on on that, so yeah,
0: but when a when a group of, this is a great topic, when a group of coaches are sitting in a room after a match, and emotion's still high, and then if someone has their opinion, such and such wasn't at their best today, and there's data alongside that, and there's so many data sets, it could be sprints, it could be dribbles, it could be pressure numbers it's it's quite difficult for a person or for this all not to kick off and be like, oh, well, this was good today, and then someone else grabs another one. What's the best way to kind of facilitate those discussions to make sure that everyone is kind of aligned and not agreeing with each other, but eventually coming on the same page?
1: I mean, we we start from the point that the football game is a random... <laughs> it, there's so many random things that can affect the football game. And again, this is just not even talking about statistics just different things psychological factors opposition levels fans there's so many different things that can just you know get your team not to the greatest start but i would say that preparation and planning for each season and each game is is what aligns with all these processes and, and that's when for example if someone is asking for a match report either for me or from a performance analyst and this is in every club that have these kind of roles, that is already guidelines, there's already things that coaches think as this is what we're going to commit this season. Could be the approach of playing, could be, okay, this is how we press, and this is, I want to see where how we press, the result of the press, uh, did we get the ball and actually score from a turnover? So these are the different types of commitments with pressing, and then you have another commitment. Okay. I want to create a lot of chances in the final third. And then you start thinking, okay, so yes, the key metric is going to be chance creation. And then you start breaking down, okay, what about chance creation by in this area? What was from what kind of play was it? Was from an open play? Was that from a free kick? And then you start looking into these metrics and then that's what you will probably bring to the manager. And, you know, the end of the game, or when whenever is the workflow for the for the key staff. You okay? This is you know we have a meeting. This is how we've done. You kind of show around. There's the video analyst with the different moments of the game. Exactly those commitments, but in video and examples of what went well, what didn't go so well, and then with the data. And and I would say that we're so fortunate right now with the access of of what we have in terms of of Uh, positional data you can actually see things in a football pitch through data which is fascinating where this has been done for so many years but was always pen and paper you have to actually mark on the pitch where okay this is what happened and people don't really understand these things already existed (laughs) like many many decades ago it just was on pen and paper so rather than having twenty thousand pieces of paper of where these things were counted by coaches or, or different assistant coaches or all the staff actually being saved. And it's so much easier to process and to give that advantage that you could have in terms of preparation. And this is the, the typical, what would a manager ask me? Okay. Depends on, on the season commitment, what you want to track and what is important for us as a team. And it doesn't matter if, we play out from the back if we get along to one of the channels this is our commitment and this is what you're going to show the manager and if it's that that's the, the the approach that the manager team the managerial team has and everyone involved in that squad then that's what's going to what you're going to report and then if there's a question okay why didn't we do this then you go deep down on on a different level of data and you start trying to to look at what the data gives you. Okay, so this is is interesting, I was discussing today because um, sometimes you can look at what is your strategy. And I would say if my team played out from the back and my best uh, playing out players actually are being extremely high pressed. And if I see that my passes are always gonna be square, they're not progressing. And these are the best ball progresses in my team, then the chances that I have of creating chances According to my style of play, it's going to be less. And then you start looking at the level of detail that your data starts to give you, because that is the data that you committed to actually take uh, for every map. And this is what it makes the process, how it is your workflow, and this is what the manager, despite of the result, will want to know what these things happen.
0: I love that. I love that. Commit, committing to data, because that, that would be a... If you don't commit to data... In that before in this preseason then all of a sudden you are open end of more bias and those four hour long meetings that go round and round and round and round I guess that's that's the big takeaway there for for coaches is to knock it knock out those processes at the start of the season
1: yeah 100% because you need to know in, in what we evaluate if you are if you're if you want to press really high or if you want to press in a, a high-medium block, then you need to know where exactly you want to gain those, the, the, uh, those plays and and turn them into a positive turnover. So if you know that, that is your commitment, even as style of play, and this is the footage that you expect your performance analyst to actually show as well, then this is also the data that you expect your, your data analysts and data scientists to actually give it to you so you can actually see it as a whole because you get the, the different elements of what football is, it might be a case of having a four element of sports science and actually linking those runs with, for example, with what you have in footage. You can do that because of the technology available nowadays. You can see, okay, so you get the sports science approach, okay, this is not clearly enough your best runs, and maybe this could be at 10, 20 minutes where the player is not tired at all. But because the player didn't run that enough, that could be subject of, okay, let me pull that player to the side. You could have regained that ball, turn into a positive turnover and actually score a goal. could be from the data perspective, the player might have approached that turnover or that tackle in a very different way to regain that ball. Could be video and data together. Okay, so we found that this is the places that we usually force the opposition to play, but the player X is not actually approaching or or triggering the the press the way that we should. And the coach will have all this at the disposal. And again, nowadays, managers are lucky to have such big uh, teams to work together to actually provide the best uh, reporting possible for them and to action. This is just amazing because you have usually within two, three days of a game, you have all this complete package that you have, let's say you have about a week, depending on the, you know, the standard, the league, depends on, on what kind of football level you are, but you will have this in the space of, of days where in the past it would take you a week at least to have all of that from one person to actually look at VHS tapes to, to conclude that, okay, so this is definitely not your best run. You have to go through it. And now everything is, is just really digestible. It's really easy you know as a as a as a part of the staff you actually have conversations you agreed on okay this is what i want from reporting this is not what i want despite of you thinking i really think this is interesting and then if it proves interesting great if not it's always going to be pushed to the side so you have to to understand what the managers and the players want because that's what the the development of these players are and how the team plays and and what you can do to improve performance.
0: Yeah. You mentioned digestible there. So, like, uh, th- there is a difference in, in casually looking at something on Twitter, as, as we all do, and, and, and making an assumption or opinion. Uh, but doing that there in the framework of a club or, or as a decision maker or as a, an assistant to a decision maker, I wanted to get your thoughts on on some of these here and just a couple of charts that came up on your on your social media. Uh, quite recently, and just to to kind of get your thoughts on how you would interpret these, because um, I'm just going to pull one up here. I'm not even going to try and pronounce this player's
1: name. Um. It, it, it's quite <laughs> interesting because he actually is now at Napoli. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, yeah. So right. he, he was he was a player that actually caught my eye at the time. He is Georgian. He played against Spain in a qualifier. And I was like, okay, he's quite impressive player. And then I went to look at the player, the the data from the Russian Premier League at the time, and I found it was quite interesting. Uh, But yeah, this is an example, and it's funny because I don't even do this anymore. Uh, We do it very differently. Um, But it's a good way to starting a conversation. Okay, this is where the player is. Thinking now, I would probably not even use... These specific metrics, or if I use these ones, I use them adjusted, because that's what you need to do. They need to be adjusted metrics, not just how many goals players score or or on what. In this case, we're looking at the distribution where the player is falling, and the the higher the the, the values of this percentile in this case is quite high on a few metrics, and that is the difference uh, between gouging where the player is compared to, let's say, if I just show, the, show the, the raw number of goals or shots that a player has, we have to normalise these values in ma- more mathematical uh, expressions. We need to see where that player falls into, let's say, goal score in 90 minutes. And I would say this is a really funny thing because not a lot of people know. Gareth Bale, for example, he was the leading scorer of two seasons ago when he was at Tottenham. In the Premier League by the minutes that he played so he actually had the highest goals scored in 90 minutes where a lot of people don't know about that which is <laughs> the for, a matter of actually looking at, at the impact that these players make because that's what you want to see the impact if this player is a left winger and then you start seeing some things like okay doesn't progress much it recovers is actually quite not a bad thing to do but again This is what people usually start as a starting point to look at what the player is doing. Then from there, you start looking at, okay, so how many wingers are actually in this league with the same minutes or X amount of minutes? Then you start looking that the distribution of that player might decrease or increase. And that starts giving you a, a bit more context. And then from there, you look at, more advanced uh, metrics for example I would look at where uh, features key passes actually uh, come from or what are the success rate of the crosses from open play or let's say what are the, the because usually for example different data providers have different things as chance created or maybe our existing key passes I would look at different things um, What could I see from this player is not that good in terms of duels. But then again, it's expected from a winger. Unless it's a wing back, then you wouldn't really know that. Uh, But you still have to see players that will engage into something. So let's say pressures. If I knew that this player was attempting some kind of pressures because my team is a high-pressing team, then that could be a problem if the players' uh, success of the pressures are quite low. But then again, it's interesting that he recovers a lot of balls. So I would look into how does he actually recovers a lot of is is on the top nineteen players that recover balls like what, sorry yeah nineteen. It's like why how is this possible? So then it could give me some kind of conclusion that okay so actually rather than having duels, I would actually have interceptions because they're probably most likely the way that this player actually recovers the ball. And it has to be with pace because he's quite fast. So if I had some physical data comparable to the league, I could probably see him as being one of the fastest players in the league. So there's different different approaches. And again, this is a fairly easy, I would say, in my eyes, because I've done it so many times, because I, I've actually can digest this and I understand how easy it's for me to do it, because there's 11, 12 about 12 to 13 metrics in this radar. It could be less than that. I could create a radar just for attacking uh, metrics and I could create a different radar for defensive metrics, for example. But it, it, how it is, is that you try to see as a whole. So sometimes you have radars with, I don't know, 15 metrics, depends on what the manager is able to see. i work with some people that they love that. Okay, it was like, all right, can you do it with the different colors, different background? I will choose the colors for you. It's like, great, just do it. That's how you, it's easier for you to, to visualize. Because I understand what I'm doing. If for me, it's easy. But as you mentioned earlier, you need to make sure that everyone can understand the data that you're doing. It could be an amazing visual. And sometimes you see amazing visuals. But then you don't, some people might not be able to read them until you actually explain them. Or, for example, players might find this super easy, and some members of staff might not. So then you have to adjust for, for what you're doing. It's a completely different message you're trying to send. For example, not everyone knows what percentiles are. So then you have to go around, okay, how can I explain what is a percentile? Then you actually have to make sure that, okay, so these are per 90 minutes played measures that, that and you can see where they fall in all the wing left left wingers in this case or in, in all the the wingers in the Russian Premier League so it will be is on the top 3 of or, or percent of players with higher volume of touches in the opposition box does that give me the whole picture of the player no but it tells me that in terms of positioning it could be a good indicator of what the player is actually receiving the ball And then from there, even though it's not here, sometimes some data providers have some others don't, but I can go even further. I was like, okay, so now that I've been collecting my own runs, I can actually see those patterns of movement and understand why the player is having those touches, why the player is having a high number of shots and goals and chances created. So it's really interesting to see that from from just the day, It, it, it starts giving... As I say, it opens conversations and sometimes confirms what people already knew. And that's actually better than not having that confirmation and still being on the fence. Is this the right way to approach this player or not? Or or I'm glad you actually showed me that because I wasn't too sure. So all all these things that have in common is what a club, what a manager, what do you believe that is valuable to assess the performance of a player? Now, I choose these ones because when he was a Rubin Kazan, this is what they value, uh, for example, for a winger. That's what they value in terms of scoring, creation. And maybe if I had access of physical data, it would include some physical metrics there because that's what you would expect for the type of winger that feature is. Is not the type of inside forward that will cut in. It would literally go, dribble one v ones, go create, uh, and, and and that's the kind of of um, wingers that winger that he is. So if it was a different type of player, I would probably include completely different metrics. And this is what people have to understand. And everyone keeps comparing two players that for me would never be able to be comparable because they're completely different. Why would I compare Ronaldo with Messi when one is a player maker and one has shifted from a winger to a more of a forward? It doesn't make any sense to keep comparing these things. I understand that people, and maybe this might be hard for fans to understand, but this is not what these clubs value about these players. It's very completely different things.
0: Yeah, so at some stage, I think it's just people like, like a debate and over here it's been for for 10 years it's been Jordan versus LeBron and I think that's seeped into Ronaldo versus Messi and but when you're in when you're in clubs or when you're when your job is football you can't really get into that you need to be able to separate tv entertainment and actually what quantitative or qualitative or whatever it is discussions this radar in particular like I think it's pretty easy to read this guy's a really good player, um, and you know, he's he's eighty, ninety percentile in, in a lot of things. A lot of radars, when you're looking at mid-level to lower level, say and they're forty, thirty percentile or maybe lower in, in certain things, like but maybe they're fifteen percent higher and, and their their radars aren't perfect. How do you know if someone does really well there? How do you know what potential is that maybe well, maybe we could squeeze another 10% out of them? Or, you know, is it is it educated guessing to an extent? Or, or like, what's the art of that, I suppose?
1: I would say it, it really depends on what you want to visualize or what you see in the player uh, or what you think the player could get to. Let's say if I was, you know, part of the, the staff and, okay, so, you know, I think that your output would probably be increased by those forward passes that are 46. So it's just below average. I would look with the performance analysts and the coaches a way to improve that because it's just not the, the output that you want. You actually want the player to be able to do that. So th- that is what the full process is. Okay, so let's say that, yes, assists were quite good, but let's say by the minutes played and the chance create, created, the numbers are quite low because usually now let's say this because this is just what is on the distribution but if I have 20 players that just have two assists and he has six assists and the fourth and fifth players coming next are just separated by a few two three assists then he's falling on the top players and there's a lot of players but I still want to increase that output of assists. And I would go and I would say where those assists came from, as I said earlier. I would look at how the player creates the chances, where and why. And more often than not, what I've seen is that players that create on paper good chances, but you want to increase the chances is because a lack of movement after that pass. So let's say I would find that this player would make the chance, would create the chance. And we'd probably not advance into a higher part of the pitch. And that way, it wouldn't be even possible to get a second ball and try to get to play again and, and try to create even another one. So this is what, what we see in football. And yes, the numbers are great for that. You can start seeing what is the problem with player act. And then the video help was like, okay, so now this player is not going forward after making that pass and he's just ball watching. So if you actually instruct the player and we actually create training sessions tailored for the player to actually, after those chances to start showing up higher on the pitch, to be able to be on the second wave of the attack if there's if a, a, something, a second ball loose or, or, or in a good position after a deflection or a save, that the player could actually go forward and try to score itself. So it's all about how we use these And we evaluate the players and we try to help them to get not only numbers, but actually because the numbers in this case, if we increase that, that will lead to higher global performance by the team.
0: And then this one, I haven't seen uh, one like this before. This type of chart, talk me through what this tells you.
1: So again, this is what I was saying earlier. It really ties really, really great with the other one. Because the other one shows you where the players are in terms of the, where they are in that distribution. So what percent is the player? What top percent or what bottom percent is the player in an action? So let's say if on the top left side, we have shot creation actions by the player. Let's say that he's way above the average and he's just about on the 75% of of players but because you see okay so you're 75 you can increase that now if you look at the last four players at the top that will be your 98 percentile and then let's say this is what they've done so far at the end of the season right and now let's imagine that we we're looking at players by a period of three games We need to think about the sample size of matches, of minutes, of actions. And in this case, it's just quite illustrative that will tell you where each player on, in this case, Locatelli's performances in terms of shot creation actions against all center midfielders in the five top leagues. And you can see that all these circles are players and some players might actually be on the same distribution with the same actions so that's how we usually see the top ones who are the top players or not for specific type of of actions again we look at and just just to give a further layer of context this is just how you start to look at some of the numbers and then you go deep down okay so where does Locatelli create those chances those shooting actions for for the the teammates or for himself where um, and how and and we go another one is progressive progressive passes or under pressure passes. Okay, so that's great that that this player attempts all of these things, but what's the team total volume, for example? What share of that is you responsible for that on the team? Is the team then it becomes more contextual? Is this player a, a key part of how the team plays? And being a midfielder and the way that he was at Sosol, if I'm not mistaken, he was at the time a quite influential figure. How the team played, the tempo as a midfielder was really important. So he dictated the tempo. Uh, he was quite good bringing the ball forward. He was really good under pressure. But again, we have to normalize it against opposition. So how many passes, under pressure passes, was actually were, was he successful by opposition presses, for example? Is it that press resistance or this is just a number that he was under and pressure because that is just a number. I can do 20, 200 under pressure passes, but how many of those were from my total or what percentage of these under pressure passes were actually progressive? So you start looking and this, dissecting this kind of, of, of metrics and this is a good way to open conversations. To see where the player the player falls, if this is the kind of player that you want to to have it in your team and if it's the role and the player that you're looking for. And then you go deep down and then you go further, further, further layers of, of data that is available because a lot of clubs work with this type of data and more advanced as well.
0: Fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Um you and I can hear it, like your your coaching background and, and your player experience has helped you in the role uh, today to kind of see it from both sides. You're not coming from a non-football background. You've, you've seen the game as a coach. You've seen it as a player. What mistakes or what are the biggest mistakes that you think coaches make when it comes to data?
1: I would say that from my experience, the ones that I've seen is either seeing in football and one side at one dimension as no, this is me. I know what I'm doing. I don't need to, I'm not going to say the team uh, as well, but I was about to work for a team that the manager actually cut all the funding for sports science, performance, and analysts for everything apart from the goalkeeper, one first team coach and himself. Because that's what he believed it to drive the club forward. And again, this was one year ago, just before, just before I joined Fulham. So I was like, wow. I was like, it's 2021. All these companies are giving so much of data and, and not just data, video. It's, it's massive. At, at the club, we have one goalkeeper coach that has been with us for 20 years, for Fulham for 20 years. And it's interesting that when he was younger, he was working for other clubs and, and and first team. He was on the first team. And and this is just without the video or, or the, avail- the quick availability of, of, of uh, having video footage because you had to wait for the Premier League or for all the competitions to actually send you CDs or, v- or v- VHS tapes of the games, and that will take you a while. But to actually not being blamed by your goalkeeper training because... That was not the goalkeeper's fault. It's just an example how you bail out a player that can affect massively on, on each individual, because some players might take that well, some players might not take that well, and that's just the case with with data and video. And we, we're so privileged to actually have all of this disposable. And I feel uh, I actually feel bad, and I really hope that managers that don't accept this that is a part of the game. It's an evolution that I would say it's an edge. And again, everyone has the right to choose if they believe in data, if they don't believe it. Again, as I said, coaching is is a prime example that if you're not coaching properly, based on the football principles that we all know, then you're also wrong. (laughs) So this is like a different a different thing as well so if you're not a good coach because you don't coach with the principles of the game or you don't know the principles of the game you're coaching them wrong then the result is also not i'm not going to believe in that process it's the same thing with data so if i'm not actually using the data correctly then it, it has the same principle and i feel that unfortunately the way that data is being painted and and sometimes a lot of a lot of people in social media and things like that, because the, even you go on Monday night football and things like that. And some of the data that, that now they've become a bit better, but some of the data they initially started to, to use, it's just very basic that no one really at top football clubs use it <laughs> unless it's just, okay, we had the game, but how many shots How many shots on target where they were. That's it. Just very basic, quick, beginning process of the workflow because there's way more things that that, that uh, you know clubs use it and, and again you will find the all club that is not using and it's usually because the board doesn't believe in that the manager doesn't believe in that and it's fair enough but the question is how do you know what you've done wrong if you don't have evidence of what could you actually improve on so it's just based on everyone
0: yeah well that's a statement right there um, you're going to have a lot of young coaches and, and obviously same as what, what you mentioned at the start of the podcast about the opportunities and opening the eyes to different avenues in the game. And I'm sure there are young people today that are inspired by by your your um, your experiences and your insights and that are thinking, well, maybe that's something I would like to go into or, or, or pursue. What advice would you have for, for coaches who who are thinking that way?
1: Well, my advice would be, you know, just if you have all the resources available, there's literally everything. And if you want to learn even more about the game and you might see the game from a very different perspective, I would advise to get involved, look around. Uh, There's a lot of data analytics podcasts nowadays that will tell you, the challenges, because there's always going to be challenges in any facet of the game, in every capacity, every role. But at least you can learn about them. You can explore. If you have time on your hands, you want to go attend CPDs, you might want to attend a course about data analytics or, or just performance analysis and how you can use data. And again, it might be at a very basic level, grassroots level. Okay, I actually want to keep account of very basic statistics because we all do that at different levels of the game. So if you wanna get involved into that, I would say there's a lot of resources online, especially on YouTube. I Everything I learned from Tableau to programming languages have been on the internet, to be honest. And it's just how much time you spend on it and you really go from that.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. And then from the, the last one for you, for those like uh, those skills that you've learned outside the numbers and the Tableau and uh, Python, all that there, skills that you've picked up that are outside data, numbers, what what, what would you say are the, are the maybe the most important or definitely the, the
1: priority ones? I would say being open uh, to different things in football, different avenues, how to get to different results, talk to different people, um, being open-minded that everyone sees football in a different way. And it's important to have discussions, honest discussions, being all, op- uh, and again, I'm repeating the word open, but you need to actually work with different people in a team. So sometimes you cannot just go on guns blazing. Okay, this is the way that you do things because you don't work alone. You work with several people and, and it's important that you actually are able to maintain different relationships with different stakeholders, different departments, different uh, colleagues, different players, it's really important how to interact in an interpersonal uh, level and again some people learn how to do that and you might go to a new place you might not as be as social as other people but you need to get involved uh, and it's, it's really important that, that you are open and, and can communicate as well with different people
0: Fantastic Hello, we've taken up so much too much of your time. Um, thank you so much for jumping on at, at such a busy time for you and, and talk about and being so open about what you're doing. And it's been fantastic. I've loved it. Time has flown. Thank you so much.
1: No worries. Thank you so much for the invitation. It was my pleasure also to to talk about it. And hopefully, people would see and understand a different side of the game that is being constantly up and coming in the next, the last three, four, five years.
0: Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kurnine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.